You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. So uh, when I started, I thought, I'd like to be consistent. I'm going to pick Exodus. Or I'm going to pick Matthew. I'm going to stick with one for a while. Uh, I messed up. <laughs> I think I made a bad choice, guys. Today... Uh, We're still in Exodus, and here we go. When my oldest two daughters were little, I felt like I spent the majority of my time following them around and telling them no. Can anyone relate? Every five seconds, don't touch, don't hit, don't steal chocolate chips and hide under the table and eat them right in front of me, and then try to convince me that no, that's not what you were doing. Bouts of cuteness aside, it felt awful to parent that way. It was exhausting. It was frustrating. It was ineffective. Something had to change for my children's well-being and for my sanity. I knew that I wanted to raise kind, intentional humans, and telling them how not to act on repeat was not the way to go about that. Something had to change. Something needed to be new. So we implemented something we still practice as a family, bonus point dates, and it is just as wonderful as it sounds. It is the millennial equivalent of the sticker chart, 10 bonus points, and you get to trade those in for a date night with one parent, both parents, or your whole family. We've gone to the arcade, we've had coffee dates, we've gone for ice cream, movie nights, We've learned watercolor painting for a bonus point date. How might one earn one of these bonus points? Well, I'm happy to indulge your curiosity, even if you didn't actually ask. Bonus points are given when you are intentionally kind or considerate to someone in your family or to your family as a whole without having to be asked. So clearing your plate when it's not your job to do that encouraging someone on a bad day, running a load of someone else's laundry, giving a hug when someone is hurting, especially if you're not the reason why they're hurting, (laughs) letting someone else have the first piece of cake at a birthday party, rather than trying to drill in manners for the sake of manners, or God forbid, manage my children's behavior for the comfort of other people or for society, we decided we wanted to draw healthy correlations around relationships and their dynamics. We tried to instill the idea that investing in relationships yields more investment from those around you. You're putting good into the world and you receive good back. It has made for much happier kids and much happier parents. And that's a really winning combination. For years, I've heard people talk about the difference they see between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And I think the difference between the two is that it feels like God is following around the Israelites yelling no all the time. And then we see a version of God in the person of Jesus who seems to say yes. There's a disconnect somewhere, a disparate version of God that's confusing, annoying, sometimes scary. 
which God is which? Fire and brimstone or love and grace? I found that a person will likely be drawn to one over the other, and often that's based on the way they were or are currently being parented. For the longest time, wrathy, judgy, condemny, angry God made sense to me. I was raised with very strict, authoritarian parents. So the idea that God somehow softened over time gave me hope. The idea that God could have been way worse and wiped us off the face of the planet but didn't was appealing. That God felt safe because that version of God was familiar. It's what I knew. People with absent parents have communicated to me that they are enamored by the idea of the God of the New Testament, particularly the Holy Spirit, who is ever-present and aware of their needs before they are even spoken. But simultaneously, they feel like a burden. They work really freaking hard to be perfect so that they don't accidentally alienate this God And when I run into differing perspectives theologically and in life in general, I like being curious as a response. And no, that is uh, not my nature. I've had to work really, really hard at being curious. So when I read the Bible and I know that there are different understandings of what I'm reading, I usually show up with my curiosity in two primary questions. The first, what does this passage say about who God is or isn't? And the second, what does this passage say about who we are, we being the broadness of humanity? With that in mind, how do we reconcile Old Testament, don't, 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 God, shall not, shall not, shall not, with the ways we've experienced the grace and the gentleness and the presence of Jesus? the face of God in the New Testament, the one about whom is written for the sake of freedom, you will be set free. Which is it? I don't know about you, but I love, I love, pathologically obsess over, it's probably a better way, uh, making sense of things which don't naturally make sense. I love those old magic eye puzzles Anybody remember those? You're old, welcome. (laughs) The brain benders that make it look like a staircase is flowing into another staircase and there's no end, but like you gotta find the end. I love riddles and jokes that don't make sense. Card tricks, magic tricks, man, I'm fun at a party, you guys. (laughs) Always trying to peek behind the curtain. I don't do well with the, well, that's just the way it is narrative. I don't like it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. And tragically, that mentality is what I encountered time and time again when I started questioning the seemingly dual nature of God as a high school student new to the church. The pat answer here is that God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. That God's nature is immutable, unchanging, So naturally, God was just as angry in the New Testament or just as nice in the Old Testament, however you see it. I couldn't find evidence of this 
at 17, I didn't understand why this version appealed to me and this version didn't. I struggle to see it now at nearly 40. So I return to my questions. What does this passage say about who God is or isn't? And what does this passage say about who we are as a whole? There are a lot of no's in this section of scripture, which if you aren't familiar with, this is more colloquially known as the Ten Commandments. There are a ton of no's. Lots of thou shalt not. Don't kill people. Cool, that's a good one. Don't steal, dope. Don't overwork, okay, fair, and why are you calling me out like that? Feels a little attacky. But as I was thinking about why the 10 commandments sometimes make me feel a little bristly, I realized it's because I wasn't seeing the yeses that are inherent in them. Don't kill, value life. Don't steal, Respect the autonomy of those around you. Don't overwork because you are worthy of rest. Bonus points without a foundation doesn't make sense to us. It's not the way we function. If I'd never set some basic expectations around kindness and consideration for my kids, they wouldn't have known to clear the dishes without being asked. They wouldn't have understood that that's meaningful to someone else. And while it's definitely an oversimplification, the Israelites were at the beginning of their parental relationship with God. God invited them into a relationship that they were not familiar with. Listen, if you kill, if you kill people, uh, it's gonna cause some issues. It's a very parental thing to say. If you decide that you're gonna lie about your neighbor for funsies, people probably aren't going to like you very much. And my personal favorite, the third commandment, verse seven, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. You know, for the longest time, I used to think this meant never say, oh my God, or you know, a very specific four-letter word that came after you said God and was followed by it, if you catch my drift. Turns out, justifying horrific abuse by twisting scripture, covering said abuse in the name of godly forgiveness, colonizing and eradicating native persons, cultures, and religions in favor of westernized Christianity and requiring your core doctrine to be displayed in public spaces and schools while simultaneously excluding other religious writings, all while claiming to do it in the name of God, is making wrongful use of the name of the Lord. So my question today is, what's the yes in that? Well, I think the yes in that is representing God's name in the world with beauty and healing, grace, safety, and love. And that feels a lot like the New Testament picture of Jesus that we have. Where is the disconnect? Where's the difference between God as we know God in the Old Testament and God as we see Jesus in the New Testament? 
Well, aside from the fact that the entirety of the Old Testament was written by a specific people as a historical document, and they had literally no idea that we would be sitting in this room trying to extrapolate depth and application and meaning thousands of years later. In cases like this, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to seek the yeses that are embedded in our noes if God's character really is unchanging, if God really is constant and immutable, then my hope is that we find the love that is buried under the language that was put to paper by people, that we find the invitation to beauty and grace underneath the limited perspective of one very newly formed, probably pretty scared nation. What does this passage tell us about God? God is deeply communal, concerned about the way we treat one another, values rest over striving, refuses to let people do and justify harm under the guise of representing God or divine will, especially apt as we look to Indigenous Peoples Day And what does this passage teach us about ourselves? We approach and we interpret and we internalize God's character through the lens of our experiences, through our traumas, our joys, our wounds, and our wonder. Coming out of enslavement, the Israelites had a massive gap in their lens, a huge gaping wound in the sense of self They had entrenched suspicion. They had internalized defeat and little to no understanding of themselves relative to the universe. Perhaps, just maybe, perhaps, they projected what they needed onto God just a smidge. And maybe, perhaps, out of love for them, God allowed it just for a moment. This passage reminds us that we can receive what we need from God and shines just a little light, a gentle light on our areas of wounding, healing, and pain, the way we internalize and see the nature of God. So if you need some structure, and I say this with absolutely no condescending, absolutely no uh, infant, infantilizing, if you need some childlike boundaries, if you need to just be told no because everything else in your life is leaving you bloodied and bruised, then you can take a no or two from the Ten Commandments. It's okay if you need God to be a little more rigid today. If you need freedom If rigidity is all that you have known, if you have been told that who you are and what you do is not okay by people who had absolutely no right to say that to you, if you need beauty, acceptance, affirmation, divine flow, I would encourage you to embrace the yeses that are also inherent in our text. And either way, keep curious, friends. It's a fun way to go about the world. 
Despite my love of puzzles, I can confidently say we don't have to solve the mystery of the disconnect that we sometimes feel between the Old Testament and New Testament God. We don't have to reconcile God's nature if she doesn't make sense to us today. We don't have to figure out all the mysteries of this world and this life before we enjoy them. We get to come before God and soak in her presence and take what fills our hearts. We can take that which helps us become the most loving, kind, and intentional version of ourselves. I am wholly convinced that God is the God of bonus point dates and that God's heart is filled to the brim every time you choose to show up in your life, whatever form that might take. UBC, may we lean on the power of questions and reflection in the midst of what might feel disparate. We don't have to solve the mysteries of the universe, but may we never stop trying. May we increase our curiosity about God, the God of complexity, who contains all things and for whom and through whom all things have been made. Amen. At this time, I'm gonna give us an opportunity uh, to just sit, to practice the gift of silence and reflection as we invite the Spirit to come and speak to us, to uh, reveal new love, to remind us of old love, to correct anything I may have said incorrectly. We get to do that together as friends. <laughs>